Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Josh, and thank you for tuning in today. If you want to learn more about our church, you can find us on Facebook, or you can look us up at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Today's message continues our series from the Sermon on the Mount, and the particular title is Your Father Knows, and we're looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 15, as we read about Jesus' teaching on prayer, and here we see that God is setting the priorities of our prayers. We need to see that and understand that. Well, there's an old saying among the rabbis, he who prays within his house surrounds it with a wall that is stronger than iron. We live in a time when prayer is needed more than ever. Prayer for ourselves, for our family, for our friends, for our communities, our country, and our world. If prayer is needed more than ever, then we could benefit from the prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples and to the masses that taught them how to pray. So today I want to take a few moments and look with you at the Lord's Prayer. Now this prayer appears both in Matthew and in the Gospel of Luke, and while they do have differences, they both have the same purpose. This prayer calls God's people to pray a different kind of prayer than what most people will pray. Most people, especially in our American culture, use prayer as a wish list. As a wish list, I have measured my life and I, I, I find out that I need. And so we say, you know, I need to pray for my health. I need to pray for wealth. I need to pray for everything to turn out okay. I want blessing. We have the things that we want, whatever they are specifically. Prayer becomes wish list to get those things. And I have encountered as a pastor countless people who are on the verge of giving up on God because they've prayed. And they've prayed, and they have prayed, and they didn't get their wish list. They didn't get what they were looking for. Now, Jesus' prayer asks us to exercise our knowledge of God. When he teaches us to pray, he's actually asking us to, to show who we know God to be. He's asking us to exercise our faith in God. And then he's asking us to place God at the top priority of our lives. So, resounding throughout the Lord's Prayer is a call for you and me to put our own priorities aside and to depend less on ourselves. And the Lord's Prayer invites us to make God's priorities our own and to depend upon Him. So, the prayer asks us to leave our own small world and step with faith into God's kingdom. So, before we get into the prayer itself, we would do well to take a moment and examine what prayer actually is. And as a pastor, over the years, I have often described prayer in just very simple terms. I think we can make it really complex if we're not careful, but just some of the simplest ways you can describe prayer is that it's talking to God. And so, when we think of prayer as a conversation with God... Uh, Then it starts to make sense because we're going to read about Jesus getting frustrated with the hypocrite Pharisees who prayed for, uh, they prayed to impress others. They they wanted to get glory for themselves. And and Jesus gets frustrated with the pagans that misuse the nature of prayer as some sort of magical chant. If they pray it enough, they'll get what they want. But prayer is about a conversation. And even more than that, it's about you settling into the presence of God. Prayer is about you saying, God, you are bigger than me. You're in charge of my life, and I want to know you. So, beware of overcomplicating prayer. Not because beautifully worded prayers are bad, 
but we can get caught up in the words of our prayers rather than just drawing near to God, rather than having a conversation with God. I've seen many people who are paralyzed over the words that they should pray. They're going, I don't know what to pray. I I think people will think I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'll make fun of me when they should just be worried about drawing near to God. Don't beat yourself up over prayer. Um, just know that it's an opportunity to draw near to the Lord. It's prayers about your relationship with God. And like all relationships, your relationship with the Lord is healthier when you spend time with Him, when you talk to Him, when you listen to Him. When you stop talking to a friend, you open up opportunities for things to go wrong, for assumptions to be made about what they're thinking and for them to assume what you're thinking. And the same happens in our relationship with God. If we stop talking to him, then we get ourselves in trouble. I'm a big fan of Henry Now, and I love his writings. And in particular, I have a book by him uh, entitled The Only Necessary Thing, and it's a collection of Henry Nouwen's writings on prayer. And every year or so, I spend some time uh, reflecting on prayer and reading, uh, going through that book again, and now and reframes prayer in a way that may help you if you're not sure about what to think about prayer. And so he writes these couple of ideas about prayer. He says, prayer is reaching out to God. He says, prayer is dwelling in Jesus. And he directs us to John fifteen five, saying, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, You will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So, prayer is dwelling in Jesus. Henry Nouwen also remarks that, well, prayer is the Holy Spirit praying in us. Romans 8.26 says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And prayer is living. I don't know that we always realize that. Prayer is a way of living. Without it, we become hollow. Henry Nouwen writes these words, Prayer is leading every sorrow to the source of all healing. It is letting the warmth of Jesus' love melt the cold anger of resentment. It is opening a space where joy replaces sadness, mercy supplants bitterness, love displaces fear, gentleness and care overcome hatred and indifference. But most of all, prayer is the way to become and remain part of Jesus' mission to draw all people to the intimacy of God's love. Prayer is a radical reorientation away from our selfishness into a humbleness before God. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 15, and read the words that Jesus teaches about prayer. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your your Father will not forgive your sins. 
As much as Jesus teaches us to pray, he's also teaching us how not to pray. And we need these warnings because as we draw near to God in prayer, we also draw near to our own desire to take charge and to try to order God around according to our will. Because our humanity constantly tries to put us in the position of power during prayer. And Jesus' warnings help us to put aside the need to be in control. He cautions us against needing the approval of others, of valuing words over friendship. And by he warns us against withholding forgiveness from others. So, let's look at those warnings. And, and one of them we didn't really read today, but I need to bring it back up. And it's that's being aware of the approval of others. Because last week we read a portion of this text about praying for all to see, because the Pharisees, they would pray for others to see uh, on the street corners and in the synagogues and in the temples. And without going into all the details last week, it's significant, uh, sufficient to know that Israel was a culture of constant and public prayer. And prayer was done, done among others with your eyes open. It was easy to see who was good at prayer. Uh, you could watch them. So, many people prayed for the benefit and admiration of those around them. Uh, They prayed to impress, and the theater of of prayer was becoming too important for everybody. And this is why Jesus speaks a word that no one likes to hear, hypocrite. Because hypocrisy lacks genuineness. When it's discovered, it sucks all the power out of the moment. A hypocrite is someone who positions themselves to get notice. They deceive. They put on a face that's not really who they are. And praying as a show for others, well, that has another dangerous side to it. Don't be a person who's afraid to pray because you're worried about what others think. Praying to impress and refusing to pray to avoid embarrassment, they're actually really close, those two ideas. In the end, Jesus wants our prayer to be offered in private. Not always literally in private, but our prayers should be between us and God, unhindered by what people around us think of our prayers. There's a story about Robert Redford. Uh, I think this could probably be said of a lot of famous people, but Robert Redford was walking one day through a hotel lobby. A, a woman saw him and followed him to the elevator. And in the elevator, she said, are you the real Robert Redford? Uh, and, and she was excited and he wasn't quite sure what to do. And as the doors of the elevator closed, he replied, only when I'm alone. When we pray in secret... We are prone to be our real selves with God, and that is what he desires. So, be aware of the approval of others. The second warning that Jesus gives, and the one we read today, is to be beware of valuing words over relationship. I love uh, what John Stott writes about the issue of prayer. He says, avoid hypocrisy and vain repetition. Hypocrisy is the misuse of the purpose of prayer. Verbosity is the misuse of the nature of prayer. And when we abuse the purpose of prayer, we try to force it for our benefit and our spiritual standing with others. When we abuse the nature of prayer, we make prayer into more of, uh, it's more about the words we say uh, than the God whom we pray to. And so, Jesus warns about babbling prayers. Prayers are not magic words. They're not a mantra that make things happen. Repeated prayer that becomes a drone without any thought in it is an attempt 
uh, really just to say it enough so that God might listen, um, a manipulation of God, or to simply try to get more pull with the big guy upstairs. There, there's no point into praying that way. Jesus reminds us that our prayers are less about the words we speak and more about knowing that the God in heaven cares for you and wants you to draw near to him. John Stott offers this warning about the words of prayer. Jesus forbids his people. He forbids his people any kind of prayer with the mouth when the mind is not engaged. Let me read that again, because I think that's something to chew on, something to think about. Jesus forbids his people any kind of prayer with the mouth when the mind is not engaged. Meaning, if you're just praying and not even thinking about the need for prayer or who you're praying to, beware. John Bunyan writes this, In prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. When the Lord's with the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is telling us, do not pray like the babbling pagan because we do not believe in that kind of God. We believe in a God who cares deeply about us, who already knows our needs, and simple words are enough. Prayer is more about relationship than a specific practice of speaking words over and over to God. One last warning that Jesus gives I think we need to hear is this, it's to beware of withheld forgiveness. Verses 14 and 15 that we read at the end of our text today, they're very startling words, and they should bother you. Essentially, they're saying, if I refuse to forgive, I can't be forgiven, and that's pretty harsh. Jesus is telling us that forgiveness is a serious business, and refusal to forgive will affect your prayer life. It will affect you personally. A person who is bitter and refuses to forgive, lives life clogged up. There's a tension that never goes away, and it becomes a barrier to enjoyment and to blessing. And lastly, forgiveness affects our relationships with others, even with people not involved with the dispute that you're in. They'll they'll feel that bitterness that you have that's building in you from the lack of forgiveness just as much as they'll feel blessing of lightened hearts from people who practice forgiveness. Whether we like it or not, Jesus links forgiveness and its lack with having a deep impact on our prayers. But Now we need to go and look at the Lord's Prayer itself. So I want to read that text again. It's, I want to focus in now on verses 9 through 13, where it says, This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's a short and simple and direct prayer. It's a model for our prayer time with God. And a simple way uh, to remember this model of prayer is to break it into five parts. I've had people call it a five-fingered prayer. You can link each piece to one finger on your hand. And so the first part is about the name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This line does many things at once, all right? It's, It's not just the beginning of the prayer, though its place in the prayer is very important. Prayer is a personal thing that we do, and it is a privilege. And being able to address God as Father 
shrinks the distance between us and God. He is approachable. God is personal to you. He loves you. And he, he is powerful and he's capable of keeping all of his promises. He's wonderful, but he's approachable. He's God nearby and yet God in heaven. There is an awe and a respect and an honor in this address. Hallowed be your name. His name is to be set apart, holy. We're not to treat that which is holy as something common, special. Exodus chapter 3 verse 5 reminds us of this as Moses encounters God at the burning bush. He says, God says, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place you're standing is holy ground. So, do you understand the privilege you have that you can call God Father? Do we set his name apart as holy? I mean, it's so it's a wonderful line because in on the one hand, it brings God close and makes him uh, very, dare we ever say common? I think personable is the right word. And yet, he's holy to be revered. Timothy Keller writes this, To fail to pray, then, is not merely to break some religious rule. It's a failure to treat God as God. So, prayer calls us to honor the name. Second part of the prayer is the will. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray God's kingdom come, we're asking... We're asking for the consummation of God's purpose in history. We pray expecting that someday the waiting will end so that our battle with temptation and sin will be done. Yet we also pray knowing that victory is already achieved. Sin has been defeated on the cross. God's kingdom is at hand. And so when we pray God's kingdom come, we're identifying that we participate in a world ultimately ruled by God. And when we pray your kingdom come, we're also saying my kingdom go. Put another way, knowing God's will starts with surrendering our will. When God's rule is acknowledged, his will will be done. Andrew Murray writes these words, God cannot at times hear the prayer of your lips because the desires of your heart after the world cry out to him much more strongly and much more loudly. So our prayers need to be built around his kingdom his rule. Prayer calls us to be under God's rule, his future, his will. Third part, the bread. Give us today our daily bread. You would think such a simple phrase would be easy to interpret, but this is one that scholars argue over more than just about any other part of the prayer. Because this phrase can equally be translated today's bread or the next day's bread. And so they start to fuss over, is it today's bread or tomorrow's bread we're praying for? Many pastors, many church leaders, and figures in history thought this represented spiritual bread. I think it's actually physical bread. Give us today our daily bread. And I think that physical bread represents everything we need to survive. Because God cares for the whole person, not just our soul. So give us this day, our daily bread covers all that we need to get through the day. It's one phrase, but it expands into so much. And yet, it also limits us. It's only our daily needs that are petitioned for in this prayer. Often when we come to God 
uh, we say, you know, this is my priority and this is what I desire and I this person needs healed and we need to ask pray for healing. But I think sometimes we come with the huge laundry list of everything and what God says he will provide is our daily bread, what you need for this day. Give us this day our daily bread. You know what it really does more than anything else? It puts God in charge of our needs. Not me, not you, God. This prayer for bread equals dependence upon God. Because we like to be independent. And the Lord's Prayer again asks us to take our proper place in the cosmological order. God is the one to be in charge. Here's a little story. There's a sign that was posted in a textile mill. When your thread becomes tangled, call the foreman. So there was a young woman who now started a job at this textile mill, and her thread became tangled. And she thought, well, I'll just straighten this out myself. And so she tried, but the situation got worse and worse and worse. And then finally, she called the foreman. She said, I I did the best I could. And he said, no, you didn't. To do the best, you should have called me first. Give us today our daily bread is about saying, Lord, you're in charge, not me. The bread, in prayer, the bread calls us to trust and depend upon God. Fourthly, the forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Forgiveness is so important. It needs to be a part of our prayer language. When we are willing to forgive others, we are willing to relinquish the false power we try to wield over them. That word relinquish is an important part of forgiveness. As long as we refuse to forgive, we are trying to hold on to some sort of power or control. I've got to have this before I got to have some sort of satisfaction. I've, I, I can't forgive them because I, 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 it, it becomes about me, right? Forgiveness says, I'm letting go. And really, when we practice forgiveness, it's another way to receive the daily provisions of God. It's very interesting. Eugene Peterson, uh, when he writes about the Lord's Prayer, he links the daily bread that we just talked about with giving, forgiving, actually. Uh, And he brings out John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so he describes one of the qualities of sin as as an anti-grace, an anti-gift, and when we sin, we take instead of give. So we need to be able to practice giving forgiveness so that we too can Receive the gift that God gives us. Give us our daily bread is about receiving what God blesses you with instead of trying to take blessing and benefit for yourself. Eugene Peterson continues on. He actually writes this prayer, and I think it's pretty good. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our failure to keep honest accounts with our neighbors. Forgive us for refusing the gifts that are given and stealing what is not ours to have. Forgive us 
for using the gift of language to deceive. Forgive us for using the gift of sexuality to seduce. Forgive us for using the gift of strength to abuse and murder. Forgive us for using the gift of plenty to impoverish another. We need forgiveness, don't we? And prayer calls us to equally embrace forgiveness and to give forgiveness. The fifth part is the battle. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There's a common Jewish prayer from the time of Christ, which went like this. Bring me not into the power of sin, but in, and not into the power of guilt, and not into the power of temptation, and not into the power of anything shameful. That's a prayer asking for God to be the one who is our strength and the one leading our steps. It's the same as lead us not into temptation. The Lord's Prayer begins with recognizing the holy name of God and ends asking our Holy Father to protect us from the evil one. For all that we bring to God in prayer, this is perhaps one of the more important needs we can pray for. Prayer calls us to locate our strength in God for the battles that we face in life, the temptations we have. Those are the five parts. I think that's a great model for prayer in our lives. But prayer, again, is about genuinely coming before the Lord, seeking His face, seeking His presence. In one of his short stories called The Three Hermits, the great Russian author Leo Tolstoy challenges what we expect religious devotion and spiritual power to look like. You can find this story on the internet easily, easily enough. You can look it up. Uh, I just want to share Henry Nouwen's brief summary of the tale. And it goes like this. Three Russian monks lived on a faraway island. Nobody ever went there. But one day their bishop decided to make a pastoral visit. And when he arrived, he discovered that the monks didn't even know the Lord's Prayer. So he spent all his time and energy teaching them the Our Father. And then he left, satisfied with his pastoral work. But when his ship had left the island and was back at the open sea again, he suddenly noticed that the three hermits were walking on the water. In fact, they were running after the ship. When they reached it, they cried, Dear Father, we've forgotten that prayer you've taught us. We've taught us. The bishop, overwhelmed by what he was seeing and hearing, said this, But dear brothers, then how do you pray? And they answered, Well, we just say, Dear God, there are three of us, and there are three of you. Have mercy on us. The bishop, awestruck by their sanctity and simplicity, said, Go back to your island and be at peace. So if there's anything else to get from the Lord's Prayer, prayer is less about proper words and proper posture and more about your honest approach to the presence of God. And each time I come back to the Lord's Prayer, I'm reminded that my priorities are essential to prayer. Because when my priorities are out of balance, my prayers are out of balance. And when I'm full of worry, my prayers seem to echo that worry, wondering if God will even answer. And when I'm in a hurry, my prayers are just as hurried, bending to my schedule and to my needs. The Lord's Prayer asks us to reset our priorities. The Lord's Prayer has a specific order to it. It begins with not me, but the holiness of God. It does not demand that my will be carried out, but God's will be done. 
My wants are not part of this prayer, but I'm invited to depend upon God for my needs. I'm asked to relinquish grudges and to embrace forgiveness. And lastly, I am to depend upon God even for the battle, facing temptation. Jesus is teaching us about prayer, but he's also asking us to listen to our prayers. And if we listen, we will hear the priorities of our heart. Our prayers tell us who rules over our lives. And in the end, prayer is just as much for you and me as it is for God. The Lord's Prayer is asking us to orient ourselves properly before the Lord, to recognize our preciousness to God and that we are to depend upon Him. And when we pray, we are to deliberately declare that it's not about me, it's about you, Lord. If you want better prayers, then position yourself humbly before the Holy God of the universe. And so, with that, let's pray. Holy God, I want to take a minute and give you glory and honor for you are holy. Father, I confess that uh, I often, I often let my will be first. We often do that as humans. But today I declare that it's your will that should be first in my life. And I, I hope that others are praying that with me. Lord, thank you for providing abundance. Help me to realize how much I depend upon you. Help me to forgive others and not hold a grudge. Lord, watch over the ways of my heart and keep me from attacks of the enemy. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.